Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to Restoring Grace Radio on blogtalkradio.com. My name is David Fournier, Senior Instructor here at Restoring Grace. Thank you for joining us either live or on archives. Restoring Grace Radio is here to provide online lessons about the Christian faith, our history, our documents, and how to express our faith to a very needy world. Thank you for listening, and now, on to our broadcast. Blessings of HM beyond you. My name is David Fournier. I'm the senior instructor here at Restoring Grace, and welcome to a new edition and a new series of Zohar in 15. Uh, the program was uh, largely successful a few years ago. Last one was done in 2015, if you can believe that. And some people and I have been talking about it, and I wanted to bring it back. I really enjoyed doing this, sharing some of the, the insights that I get from reading the Zohar. And again, remember that. If you're in a Christian tradition or Jewish tradition or Baha'i faith or whatever you may practice, our classes here, these devotionals that we're going to do, are are all about just using it as a toolkit, using it as something that we can kind of bolt on to our faith practice and move on from there. I want to talk to you today. Um, we're going to be reading from the Zohar Volume 1, the prologue, called The Vision of Rabbi, uh, Rabbi Kaya. Um, and we're reading out of paragraph page 40, paragraphs 53 and 54. Now, Rabbi Shalom Baryakai, who's one of the authors and writers of the Zohar, said of Rabbi Kaya, he said that he is a shining light of Torah. Now, I want to ask you a question. Do we still possess an awe of God? Do we still have part of our lives where we, we see something amazing like the birth of a child or the beauty of the mountains or the, the coolness of the desert or a space shuttle launch? Do we still have an awe for those things? Or has our life become rather mechanical? You know, many religions, spiritual groups, are kind of a staged, mechanical, prescribed event. You know, certain things happen. You come in, there's going to be a greeting, there'll be handshaking, say a prayer, maybe take some prayer requests, take an offering, sing some songs, you know, different types of music traditions. Um, someone talks, someone closes in prayer, maybe they have an invitation. There's a lot of mechanical events. And by the way, I am a, a heavy supporter of liturgy. I, I'm impressed by... United Methodist Church and, and the way they stick to the book of discipline and, and there's a certain liturgy and a certain way they get things done and there's many other denominations like that. I just happen to know a little bit about that one. And these are the kind of things that are exciting. These are the things that you can look at and say, man, that's really cool that they do that. But what can happen from that is worship can become more about who is designed to serve more about what, what what kind of worship it is. Pardon me. It's about what kind of more about what it's about than really who is designed to reserve, uh, serve or who it's supposed to reflect on. A lot of times we we're in there beating the drums, you know, like King Kong coming in our sacrifice and to usher in the presence of God. And I always hear you know worship leaders they say that oh we're going to usher in the presence of God. Can you feel him? Can you feel him? It's interesting to ask somebody to show up that's already there. I don't quite understand we do that. God is not playing peekaboo with us. You know, now you see me, now you don't. Peekaboo, peekaboo, like we're going to do something to usher him in. Have we lost our awe? Have we lost the 
incredible feeling of, of just enjoying God and of being part of life? Have we lost our gratitude? You know, a lot of people right now are going through a lot of hard times. Uh, we talk about, you know, living uh, check to check. Somebody asked me one time, said, hey, Dave, do you live check for check? I said, oh, no, not me. I live from direct deposit to direct deposit. I mean, there's a lot of challenges out there, and it's really tough at times. But let me ask you this. Have you got some place to live? Have you got some food to eat? Have you got people that really care about you and love you? Because if you have those things, you have the richness and the depth and the awe of the things of this life. Now, I want to read to you verse 53, or paragraph 53, if you prefer. And it says this, thinking about the awe of God, for saying, lower your eyes, and do not raise your head up, and do not look. Now, this voice is speaking to Rabbi Kaya at this time. And he lowered his eyes, and he saw a light that shone from afar. And the voice returned and said, you hidden and unseen celestials on high, you who are clever and wander throughout the world, behold and see, earthly beings that are in slumber, with the light of your eyes concealed in your eye socket, wake up. Well, I wonder to myself, why is the light far off? I mean, why would there be some light way ahead? He says, lower your eyes, and I want you, what do you see? He sees this light way off. Well, it's pretty obvious there's a great distance between this light and where he's at. But the light isn't the one that moves. Think of the sun. The sun stays in a stationary position in the universe, and it's the universe that moves around the sun. I know for some Christians that's news. Anyway, it's the universe that moves around the sun. And the farther away you get from the sun, the less habitat can be had for people to live. And the closer you get to it, the less. There's a right kind of distance to be there. But why is there a light far off? Because we move. We move away from the light. The celestials among us, I love when he talks about that. The Apostle Paul says in Hebrews chapter 13 that many of us have entertained angels unaware. So when people say, I believe that there's angelic bodies that have come here to earth. I believe I've spoken to someone that was in an angelic body, and people are like, oh, that doesn't happen anymore. That's not what Paul said. Paul said some of you have entertained angels unaware. So I want you to think about that. I want you to really think carefully about what he's saying there. But he talks about this light, and he says the light is in your eye sockets. You've already got this light, but you're asleep and you can't see it. I want to talk to you about something real quick. It's called uh, The Hebrew word is called klipot, and the word klipot means coverings. And I give this example a lot um, in, in classes. So I want you to think about being in a room, and lights are, all, uh, lights are all off. You put a flashlight standing up in the middle of the room, and it's kind of amazing uh, how a flashlight can illuminate an entire dark room. Obviously, where it points on the ceiling, it's brightest, it begins to fade, but, man, it'll light up that room where you can at least see your way around. Well, then you walk up and you put a Kleenex on it. It's like, okay, that, that faded it a little bit, but it's more distorted, but the light's still there. Then you lay a washcloth, and you keep laying things on top of it, on top of it. And finally, you know, I'll take off somebody's a jacket from somebody in the class, I'll throw it on top of there, and now we're back in the dark again, completely in the dark. What's interesting about that is understanding that the light is still on. A lot of people say, well, where's God? Where's this? Why isn't this happening for me? Why, why does it seem like it's so far off? It's not that far off. It's not that the light has moved. The light's still on. It's that things have covered that light. What are some things that cover light? Well, the Bible talks about sin, for example, is one thing that covers the light. But I want to tell you something else I just want you to think about for a minute. I want you to think about the fact that doubt covers the light. God operates in certainty. I mean, do we really know that God cares enough for us that he's going to help us to make it? He's going to help us. He's going to be there through our many challenges. 
or always looking at, well, look what somebody else has. Look at this. I should be here. I should be there. All these imaginary things that should be happening in your life when really God wants us to deal with certainty with the ones that we have in our life. But the more you pile things on top of that flashlight, the less you're going to see the light. Now, the light is still there. Rabbi Caius, it was told, hey, the light in your eyes, this light to see, it isn't a far off. It's in your eyes. But you've become blind to it. You need to open your eyes. You need to wake up. And I want you to understand that just because you can't see something doesn't mean that it's not there or it's not possible. Maybe it's coming. I'll tell you, I'll tell you from my house uh, where we, we live, you look out our bay windows, we have this unbelievable, beautiful view of Pikes Peak. And we've been over, over nine years now. And it doesn't seem like that's ever gotten dismal, especially right now because it's covered in snow. During the summer when it just looks like a big dirt pile, but still a good-looking dirt pile. But I've been on top of Pikes Peak. you got to take this train. They call it a cog. You go all the way up there. It's a whole other world up there, a whole other elevation. You can, and it's just amazing. And the view up there is spectacular. Now, from my house, I can see Pikes Peak clearly. I can see the snow. And at night, I can actually see the little light. Well, it's not little if you're there, but it's a little light on top of it that sits on top of, like, this little house that they have up there where the tourists go and, and get these donuts and you can buy gifts and things up there. You can see the light from here. But what you can't see from here is the people. You just wouldn't be able to see them from this far away. Does that mean there's not people up there? No, they're there. What it means is you can't see those people. But just because I can't see it doesn't mean they're, that, they're, they're not there. I've been there. I know people take the train up. They walk around for 30 minutes. They take the train back down again. They eat the donuts. They get the T-shirt. They go down. They're there. Now, they're not there right now because it's dark. But just because you can't always see something doesn't mean it's not possible. It doesn't mean that it's not there. Now, verse 54. <coughs> that was good. Thank you. In verse 54, we're going to read a verse that describes a very different view of God than the one that we've been taught in a lot of our spiritual practices. Who among you has during his lifetime in this world transformed darkness into light and the taste of bitter into sweet before he came here? Who among you has awaited eagerly every day when the light begins to shine, when the king calls upon the gazelle, as then the glory of the king increases, and he is called the king of all the other kings of the world, because he does not he who does not wait eagerly for this every day, as he lives in this world, meaning this world, the one we're in, has no part here. He's not watching you. God's not watching you to catch you in the act of doing something wrong. He's watching you to catch you in the act of doing something right. He's watching you because he gets up every morning. Again, he wasn't asleep. But he gets up every morning, and as he sees the world begin to open up and the, sun, and the light begin to come in, he greets the gazelle. He sees his creation. God enjoys his creation. He enjoys you. He transforms darkness into light. And just like we see it happening daily in our lives, and a lot of us take it for granted, someday will be your last sunrise. He transforms the day in the night into day, and it's fresh every day. Our lives also can be that way. If we're not constantly bringing the negativity and the doubt and the uncertainty for the previous day into this one. And Rabbi Caius says that he who does not await eagerly for this every day is if he if he's alive in this world, he has no part in it. He transforms the taste of the bitter into the sweet. I know some of you, that resonates with you. You understand exactly what that means. You get that. You understand it. 
This is God working daily in our lives. And God eagerly awaits each day. I love that. Calling out his creation to join him in today's dance. I don't know what your day like was, was like today. I know what mine was like. Some of the things that happened in my day-to-day were like all the rest of them. But there were just a few unique moments, a few unique contacts with some people, a few unique things that happened that made this one different. But you'll never see it that way if you're not willing to open your eyes and realize to stop looking for light far off and realize that you have light of creator in you right now. And as his creation waiting each day, we're alive, but do you really live? Everybody says you've got to live for God. You've got to live for God. I think it's more important, less important, to live for God as it is to live with him. When you wake up tomorrow morning, he's excited that you woke up. Now, I know he knew that you were going to wake up. Don't blow the story for me, okay? Be cool about it. But we wake up. We have a daily invitation to walk with God and to see the world as he sees it, to be part of repairing the world. Takum Olam, restoring it, putting it back to its original measure. By the way, you can start helping repair the world by doing something simple like picking up trash and making something that's better. You could do it by opening the door for somebody. You could do it in a lot of ways. I want to tell you about an experience that I, I recently had. We're going to run a few minutes over. Don't pass out. I want to tell you about an experience that I had uh, two days ago. I was at Safeway, and I was going through the self-checkout. I know it's hard to believe, but... I don't like talking to people that much, so I go through the self-checkout. And there's an older gentleman. Now, if I'm calling him older, that means he's in his 70s. And he's at the checkout, and he's looking around. He's trying to find something. I'm trying to figure out what he's doing. And finally, it dawns on me exactly what is happening. He's paid for it, and he's looking for his receipt, and he can't see it. Now, this machine has got a TV screen and the scale and all this stuff, and the receipt comes out on the top right-hand side. And he's really getting frustrated, and I can see that he's getting upset. And I started to walk over there, and I stopped, and he's just looking around. Where's my knife? He's vocalizing it. Because, you know, like me, as you get older, you just start talking out loud. He's on my receipt. I can't find it. And he's looking around. So he gets his bags, and he starts to walk off. And I walk up to the register, and I pull the receipt off. And I said, sir, sir, hey, here's your receipt. It must have fallen down behind the, the machine. Now, that's partially true because it does kind of go over the machine and hang on the back side of it. But the reason, the reason I did that is because this guy is – getting old sucks. And some things you easily could have done when you were younger, you can't do now. And what I could have done is I could have grabbed that piece of paper, receipt, and said, hey, stupid, it's right here. How can you not see it? But in that moment, I just offered him like a little piece of human dignity, like a little way out to say, hey, yeah, I fell down behind here. You must not have seen it. He turned around. He took it from me. He said, thank you. He put it in his bag, and off he went. Now, that may not seem like anything to anybody, but to me, on that soul level, on that connection level, I felt like it was part of repairing the world, just giving him a little bit of his dignity, relieving a little bit of his frustration. You see, living for God is all about the doctrines and the songs and the liturgy and all the things for God. Living with God means being kind and caring and looking out for other people and being concerned about the poor and the needy and the disenfranchised. It means making a meaningful effort in your life to make someone else's life better. It doesn't have to be a huge thing. Maybe that's what you're called to do. Maybe you'll write some famous piece of legislation. Maybe you'll do some incredible thing that that works for millions of people. 
Or maybe we could just start doing small acts one at a time a million times over. We need to journey with God who seeks to make the crooked pathway straight, to help the poor, to help the widow, to rebuild the fallen cities, to breach the way between broken hearts. We need to be those kinds of people. My name is David Fournier, Senior Instructor here at Restoring Grace. Thank you for joining me on the Zohar in 15, and we'll see you on our next episode.